0: Welcome to the podcast of the Believer's Bible Class, a part of the historic First Baptist Church located in downtown Dallas, Texas. Each week we share the Bible lesson from our longtime teacher, Doug Brady. Doug has studied the biblical scriptures throughout life and is knowledgeable in both ancient Greek and Hebrew, which makes his explanations of scripture all the more interesting and most certainly all the more accurate. Professionally, Doug is an attorney, although he considers his Bible teaching as his godly profession. As we complete our short series titled Elijah, a Man of Conviction, we look deeper into the life and time of Elijah and the connection he has with God. Today's lesson is titled The Chariots of Israel, and we take it from 2 Kings, chapter 2, verses 1 to 14. The Believer's Bible Class is part of the historic First Baptist Church located in downtown Dallas, Texas. Each week, the Believer's Bible Class meets in LaVorne Hall, located on the lower level of the new Worship Center building. Class begins at 9.15, and at the end of the class, we all go up one floor to the magnificent Worship Center for the Worship. We enjoy meeting so many people who visit our class, and we hope to see you at some time in the near future. Well, Doug is at the podium ready to begin this lesson, so open your Bible to 2 Kings chapter 2. Here now is our longtime teacher, Doug Brady.
1: We're going to talk about Elijah today. If you want to open your Bibles, you should open them to 2 Kings chapter 2. We've been studying a man named Elijah, and we've been following his life journey. Uh, This is a man who's experienced great spiritual highs and also some spiritual lows. Uh, You know, he's unusual, but we never have any spiritual lows, right? And who could tell me what his name means? Yahweh is God. What was his mission? To convince Israel of what? That Yahweh is God. You're going to see that he leaves this earth without having accomplished that task. I have a question for you. Will he get another chance? Ah, a lot of you recognize that, yes, I think he's coming back during the tribulation as one of the two witnesses, and he will once again seek to convince Israel, even by his death and then resurrection, that Yahweh is the one true God. Now, Elijah lived from about 874 BC to 859, but unlike anybody else, or like unlike anyone but one other man, he appeared again on the earth in 33 AD in the Mount of Transfiguration along with Jesus and Moses and Peter, James, and John. He was one of just a few men in the scriptures who was able to bring someone back from the dead. And in addition to that, he was able to call fire down from heaven, not just once, but multiple times. A very very unusual man, but on this day that we're going to study, he's going to become one of only two men ever to be recorded in the earth's history to leave the world without dying, and that's what we're going to see today. But before we get to First Kings, Second Kings, chapter two, verse one, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time that we could be here together. I thank you for preserving for us the life. Of this man Elijah, even to showing us the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I pray, Father, that today we will see how a man faces the end of his life and what he does, and that we can learn the lessons from his life that he is going to reiterate to us today in the travel that he takes. And so I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit speak to all of us today, and that he be the instructor, and that we all can be the learners and that we can make clear and ever-present application of the principles in this passage. I pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus, and the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1 starts this way, And it came about, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up by a whirlwind to heaven, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Now, where did the journey start? Gilgal. Gilgal is right here. It's really in the, plain, uh, in the plain of the Jordan River. Now, where did Joshua and the people of Israel cross the Jordan River? Right there opposite Gilgal. Where was their first camp? After crossing the Jordan at Gilgal, that was the beginning, I like to say, the beginning of the invasion, right there at Gilgal. And so this journey starts there. Now notice also, it appears that Elijah knew what was going to happen and that his departure was going to occur that day. That's the way it appears from this passage to me. And so what is he doing? You know, if I thought the Lord is going, if I go down on the other side of Jordan, he's going to take me up to heaven. I'd say I'm getting there as fast as I can. Let's go. I'm ready. Elijah didn't do that. So let's look at the next uh, verse. Because I think it's going to be an example of how we live towards our last day. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. Now, what is being demonstrated there? Here's two command companions in the Lord. And what? What is Elisha saying? Loyalty. Does God, value, loyalty. Does he want to demonstrate to you that he is loyal to you? No what? No matter what? What if you commit grievous sin? Like, let's say you were a man and you committed adultery and then murder. Is he going to remain loyal to you? Now, he might have to correct you. Of course, we know the man who did that, David. And God remained loyal to him. Does he also remain loyal to us to teach us to remain loyal to him? And does he use that example to teach the husband to be loyal to his wife and the wife to remain always uh, loyal to her husband? Yes. And does he want to teach both his relationship with us to use it and the husband's relationship to the wife to teach the children to be loyal to their family and to be loyal to each other. And then to teach church members to be loyal to each other. He said, well, I can be loyal to most of them, but she, I don't like her. (laughs) Well, is that a criteria for not being loyal to them? No, it's not. And we need to understand that. And so... Elisha said, as the Lord, as Yahweh lives, and as you yourselves, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Now, let's look at Bethel, and then we're going to go back, Jerry. Show them where Bethel is. It's right here. It's right next to Ai. And you remember Ai, the second uh, battle as they were coming into the land. Some people, some scholars believe that also, that city is also known as Bochim. Bochim. But you can, we'll talk about that, I guess, in a minute. you know what Bethel means? House of God. House of God. And it was always known by that name. Now, why would he go to Bethel? Now, I want you to notice this because this is important. Then in the very first of this verse, Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. For Yahweh has sent me to Bethel. You see that? Yahweh has sent me. That's the important concept. Yahweh has sent me. So, Yahweh has sent me. So he went down to Bethel. And there, then the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him. Now, who do we know so far knows that this is Elijah's last day? Elijah. But now look what, what goes on here. And these sons of the prophets come to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that Yahweh will take away your master from over you today? So as of just with that question, who else knows? The sons of the prophets who came out from Bethel. And he said, Yes, I know. Be still. So Elisha knew. Men and women who spend time close to God... He tells them things. He tells them secrets. Let me ask you a question. Candice, if you had a secret that you wanted to tell somebody, and I don't want you to name a name, who would you probably trust with that secret? What kind of person? One who has integrity, and would that most likely be one of your best friends or family members? someone who you're really close to does God have secrets yeah he does who does he share them with his close friends he used to share them with Abraham but what was Abraham known as friend of God he told the disciples in the upper rooms upper room you are my friends now he's going to share things with them is God still in the habit of sharing things with people he's really close to? Yes, he is. He still does that. And so these people knew. Now, here's a question I've been pondering on. And I want to see what you think. Do you notice that when these prophets, these sons of the prophets told Elisha, you know, this is your master's last day. He's, he's being taken. And he says, yes, I know. And then he said, Be still. Now, translated in English vernacular, that'd be, shut up. Don't say another word. Why would he say that? It was a secret. He didn't want everybody to know. That, I think, maybe is true or part of it. You can think of any other reason. Or the community. How about, I don't want anyone else affecting my master's last day. I want him to do exactly what he wants. But going back to what Eddie said, whose secret was it? Who then has the right to share it? Yeah, not you, God. If Julie tells me a secret and says, don't tell anyone, this is a secret, who has the right to share that secret? Julie, Julie, but not me. You see how that works? Because that protects what the question or the position you've taken. So, Elijah also knew that the Jordan River Valley was the place where he was going to depart but if he did know that why did he leave Gilgal to go to Bethel? Because God told him to. Now, let's look in verse 4. And Elijah said to him, "Elisha, please stay here for the Lord has sent me to Jericho." But he said, "As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you." So they came to Jericho. And the sons of the prophets who were Jericho approached Elisha and said to him, "Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today?" And he said, "Yes, I know." Be quiet. Be still was the word. What does the King James say? Keep silent. Hold your peace. Well, either of those probably a better translation than be still. That's what you said say to a kid who's fidgety. So here's the question. Three places he's visited first. Now remember, he's walking. He's visiting three towns before heading to the airport, so to speak. The historical record is that it was in Gilgal, Bethel and Jericho, where the primary school of the prophets were, were located. Why would Elijah want to go there before he leaves this earth? See, those schools were kind of like a conservative theological seminary. They're producing teachers for Israel, future prophets for Israel, All kinds of of people like that. These schools were more than likely founded by Samuel, who was the last judge, high priest, and uh, not last high priest, but a high priest and a prophet. And they are containing men or, or helping men prepare for the ministry and maybe even to be a prophet. Now, what is a prophet? Maybe we ought to just make sure we understand what is a prophet? Well, it's a man of God. Who's provided with information. And the information is important. Many people say, oh, prophet, I know what a prophet is. That's someone who predicts the future, right? That's not primarily what a prophet does. A prophet has a primary job of forthtelling, F O R T H, forthtelling, with a secondary job, sometimes, of foretelling. Now let's talk about that Forthtelling, telling the prophet's primary job is to point out sin among the people and to explain to them that that is a violation of God's law. That's the prophet's primary job. What was Elijah doing? You're worshiping Baal, a demonic deity and you're not worshiping Yahweh, the one true God of Israel. You need to change. I'm going to prove to you that Baal is worthless and Yahweh is the one true God. And he did that to them on Mount Carmel. They got to see it. They got to smell it. They got to hear it. They got to taste it. They got to feel it. They're on Mount Carmel. He got to show them how to change light blue Israeli skies into skies that are so blackened by rain clouds that you couldn't see the sun he showed them those things who was the one true God now sometimes what God does is he provides the prophet with information about a short-term prophecy sometimes he provides the prophet with a long-term prophecy you remember Daniel and when we studied it in the long term some of which still haven't come to pass yet And sometimes he provides the prophet with a recurring prophecy. This is going to happen, and then it's going to happen again, and then it's going to happen again. I believe that was one of the prophecies that he provided to Abraham when he said, I am going to bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you. Does that really happen? What was the year in which Katrina hit the southern part of the United States and the Gulf Coast. What had just happened? Someone from our country tried to force Israel to give back, and they did give back the Gaza Strip. And God hit us. George Herbert Bush tried to create two nations there, or two uh, countries in Israel, a Palestinian and an Israeli, And what happened to Kenny Buckport that year? It was destroyed by a natural disaster. You can find example after example after example. Even though God used Babylon to punish Israel, then he brought in Persia to punish Babylon for what they did to us. And it's going to happen over and over again when relating To Israel, But that's what a prophet does, and he warns of coming punishment unless there's true repentance. And I believe that Elijah wanted to meet with these young men one last time to encourage them and to provide them with the direction before he leaves. So that takes us to verse 6. Then Elijah said to him, please stay here, that is said to Elisha, please stay here for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he said, as the Lord lives... And as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Now 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood opposite them at a distance, while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Elijah took his mantle, he folded it together, and he struck the waters. And they were divided here and there, so that the two of them crossed through on dry ground. And when they would crossed over, Elijah said to Elisha, Now before we get to that, let me see the map just a second. Here again, the, the trip started in Gilgal. It went up here to Bethel, down to Jericho, and from there, crossing right here. How wet did they get when they crossed? Not at all. Not at all. There was dry ground. From here and there, it was separated. Had that happened before? Yes. When? That was the exact spot. That Joshua and the people crossed. As they were crossing, you know what they might have seen at the bed of that uh, river? Stones. Now, maybe one or two of them had gotten knocked off because of uh, a flooding or something. But the stones that they had put there as a memorial, besides the one up on the land, were still there. And they could see them. And they cross over. You're, you're talking probably about 50 miles from Gilgal to Bethel, to Jericho, and then across. But that's what they did. And they did it all day. And they knew how to walk very efficiently. But it's, 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 quite a, it's full day's work. But that's the way that he wanted to spend his last day, meeting with those men. Now, notice this. When they had crossed over, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you. Before I am taken away from you. And Elisha said. Please let a double portion of your spirit be on me. Now is he talking about the spirit of Elijah? No he's talking about the Holy Spirit. Because who does he know. That Elijah that day will be conferring with. The Lord God. And he said you asked a hard thing. Nevertheless. If you see me when I am taken up from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. So these two men crossed the Jordan, same place Joshua had crossed many years before. And there is now what I want you to see, another set of reasons why Elijah went to each of these locations. It's more than just visiting the school of the prophets. And we need to understand it. Looking at Gilgal again, what was placed at Gilgal? The tabernacle. The tabernacle was placed at Gilgal when and erected at Gilgal when the people first came over. And it stayed there for quite some time. What was the inner room called of the tabernacle? The Holy of Holies. And what was the sole piece of furniture or accessories that was located in that room? The Ark of the Covenant. And who inhabited the Ark of the Covenant that is on the mercy seat? The Lord God. Now, this is an interesting thing. Would you all agree with me that God would would be in the Holy of Holies, the mercy seat? Now, I want you to look at a very saddening passage. It's found in Judges chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Joshua had just died. And many of the others who had been with him and been leaders with him had passed away. Now, the angel of the Lord. Who is that? Jesus is the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochim. I believe Bochim is Bethel. They're the same place. But he made this journey from Gilgal to Bochim. And he said, I brought you out of Egypt. And I led you into the land which I had sworn to your fathers. Now, based on what he's saying, could this be anybody else but Jesus? Who else led the people? It wasn't an angel. It was the Lord God. And he said, I brought you up out of Egypt, and I led you into the land which I had sworn to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And as for you, you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and you shall tear down their altars, but you... Have not obeyed me. What is this that you have done? In other words, they had turned back to idolatry after Joshua had left. Therefore, I also, I will not drive them out before you, but they will become as thorns in your sides, and their gods will be a snare to you. And when the angel of the Lord had spoken those words to all the sons of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept. But I wanted you to see this. Where did Jesus come from? Gilgal, the place of the tabernacle, the place of beginning. And I think it is important for us to see and recognize in our lives the place of the beginning. Now, the second place, Bethel, was the place of prayer. And certainly, Elijah was a man of prayer. And the, and the word Bethel means house of God. And that was where many years ago, Abraham had built an altar and would travel there when needed, when in need of serious prayer. Look, for example, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 8. Then he proceeded, that is Abraham, from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east And there he built an altar to Yahweh and called on the name of Yahweh. Now you think about this. In the lifetime of Elijah that we've studied, he'd established some altars of his own. The first one was at the bottom of the wadi, Cherith, near the brook. A second one at Zarephath, where he spent time in prayer in the upper room. And then the third one, the altar that he rebuilt on top of Mount Carmel. Think for a moment minute of those prayers that were offered up in each of those locations by Elijah and so he went secondly to the place of prayer that had been Abraham's place of prayer Joshua's place of prayer and now Elijah now where did he go next Jericho why would he go to Jericho Jericho was the place of battle maybe better put the place of victory. You see, the forces in the promised land were greatly outnumbered the forces of Israel. They were much better equipped, much better prepared for battle. And Jericho was basically an invincible fortress. No one could take Jericho. And then God led his people there and they took Jericho and he gave them a great victory. He fought beside them. He, in effect, divided the land in half. And that victory brought panic to the rest of the Canaanites. How could Jericho fall before these people? What do they have? And they said, well, it's their God, Yahweh. He does this for them. From Jericho, I'm certain Elijah's thoughts surely look back to the battle on Mount Carmel. The great victory that God had given him there. And so you're beginning to see the reason for these three visits. And in Elijah's life, and in a minute we're going to see about for our life. And then he came to the Jordan River, the river that Israel had to cross to enter the promised land, the one that God divided for Joshua and Israel, and now for Elijah and his protege Elisha. And in verse 11 of uh, of the second chapter, it says this, And as they were going along and talking, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, which separated the two of them. Now, I want you to think carefully. Here's two men walking along. Chariot of fire appears with horses of fire. What was the purpose? To separate them, drive them apart. Why? So the whirlwind wouldn't take Elisha too when God sent it down. A lot of people either want to sing songs or create art that shows Elijah in a chariot. I tell you, those are people who don't really know the scriptures. So, and Elijah went up in a whirlwind and Elisha saw it and he cried out, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw Elijah no more and saw Elijah no more. And can't we say that he saw the chariot no more? The chariots no more either. Can we say that? No, we can't say that. If we remember an event around Dothan, where Elijah, Elisha was living, and he comes, his servant comes out one morning. He says, "Oh my gosh, the enemy has surrounded us. We're going to die." And Elisha prays, "Lord, open his eyes, so that he could see the chariots of fire once more, or for the first time." with his master, Elisha, that it was surrounding the enemy. It wasn't Elisha that was in trouble. It was the Arameans who were in trouble. And, uh, but he saw Elijah no more. And then he took hold of his own clothes, and he tore them into pieces. And he also took up the mantle of Elijah that fell from him. And he returned, and he stood by the bank of the Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him, and struck the waters, and said, Where is Yahweh, the God of Elijah? And when he struck the waters, they were divided here and there, and Elisha crossed over. Now, I want you to think of something. Elijah was taken up in a whirlwind, but he leaves something behind. He left two things behind. Who can tell me the first? The mantle. What was the second? It was a man that he had built into, who was now ready to take over. Elijah did not make the same mistake that Joshua made. I want you to think about that. When Jesus was here on earth, did he spend almost all of his time in trying to evangelize the whole world? He spent most of his time trying to build into 12 men and then take 11 of them and add one more to it, and send them to evangelize the whole world. You know, sometimes I see churches today that are all about gathering followers when the church really should be about building leaders who can go out. God doesn't want us sitting in church. Now am I saying God doesn't want us to go to church? Of course he does. Forsake not the gathering of yourselves together. It's in Hebrews and it's clear. But he wants our primary responsibility of going out, sharing the gospel, standing for the light, and being an influence in our world. That's what he wants. That's what Elisha is now about. What do you mean he's now about that? Well, we're going to look at that in just a second. But let's go back and see the purposes of this final journey It started in Gilgal where the tabernacle had been set up and where the Lord had made that fateful journey after Joshua's death. Next, the prophet went to visit Bethel, the place of prayer, a place where you learn to sacrifice and surrender things that are dear to you. Then he arrived in Jericho, a visit once again to the battles he had fought, not just the battle he fought at Carmel, but the battle he fought under that juniper tree in the wilderness, when he asked God to take his life. And finally, the journey ended at the place of departure of the Jordan River Valley. It pictures self-denial, even death to self when in his service. And when we finally learn to do that, death to self, peace becomes real and captivating. Now, what did Elijah do next? It's kind of interesting, I thought, and I wanted to share that with you before we finished. Now when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho opposite him saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. And they said to him, Behold now, they're your servants, 50 strong men. Please let them go and search for your master. Perhaps the spirit of the Lord has taken him up and cast him on some mountain or in some valley. And he said, You shall not sin. They didn't know what was going on, but Elisha did. So then he went up from there to Bethel. He went back to visit the place to prayer. But as he was going up, young lads came out from the city and they mocked him. So they're mocking God's man. And they said, go up, you bald head, go up, you bald head. Now, did you notice that? What part of Elisha were they using to mock him? His lack of hair. Now, I take offense to that. (laughs) Obviously, God did too. What do you mean God did? He didn't. Oh, yes. Look what God did. And when he looked behind him and saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. And then two she bears came out of the woods and tore up 42 of the lads of their number. That sounds like a pretty serious response to me. I don't think those boys mocked Elisha ever again. And God, on that day, glorified those who are bald. (laughs) But from there, I want you to see where he went. After Bethel, the place of prayer, from the altar that that, uh, Abraham had built, he went from there to Mount Carmel. What do you think he looked at at Mount Carmel? The altar that was there? No, the altar wasn't there. It was gone. The only thing left was a crater. But he wanted to see it. Elisha might not have been at Carmel when that event happened. But he wanted to go and visit the location of that Jericho-like victory. And I imagine that the crater was still there. So a few things here to finish that I want us to see. What had Elijah learned over these years that God had allowed us to view in his word? that Satan's forces embodied in these very religious groups are coming to evangelize God's people when instead God's people should be evangelizing them and how sad that is. And I think that would be important to do. We need that kind of encouragement, but I'm telling you that the condition our country is in is because of God's people's failure, God's people's failure. Now, He also then returned to Samaria to start his ministry. And let's have just a few thoughts before we finish. What had Elijah learned over these years that God allows to view? He learned to rely on God and not himself. How many times do we think? I can tell you, I know a young man who at the critical point in his time, he had to learn. You can't rely on yourself. But he said, I've always been able to be successful in dealing with things, and you've helped me, God, to deal with these things. And he had to say, No, I'm going to bring something in your life that you cannot deal with, so you will learn to rely solely on me. This is not a partnership, Doug. I'm the master, you're the servant. The servant seeks direction from the master and empowerment from the master, or the servant fails. Elijah had to learn that. And he didn't learn it on Carmel. He learned it on Mount Horeb in the midst of a horrible depression. Secondly, he learned to walk in the strength of the Lord God and not in his own will. Thirdly, he learned to submit, to wait, and to obey. I can think of times in my life when if you would have asked me, I'd have said, waiting, that's wasted time. Not to God. God has us wait because he wants to do something in our life. He has a purpose for us waiting. And so we wait until he is ready. But such self-denial, it doesn't come naturally to us. It's a learned virtue, encouraged by very few, modeled by even fewer. So when we find ourselves searching, we must remember there's always a place of beginning. And many times it's there to start. Go back to when you were born again and be certain that you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The place of beginning. Allow the master to reaffirm his relationship with you. Second then comes the place of prayer. Notice, at the beginning, before any action is taken, what should be there? The place of prayer. The prayer, you know, some people say, well, Yeah, you go there to pray before you start the work. I would suggest to you, those people don't know what they're talking about. The prayer is the work. We don't understand that today in the church, I'm afraid. So in the place of prayer, that's where you first begin to learn about surrender and sacrifice. Coming alone to your place of prayer, you learn to pray your way into God's loving and comforting presence. That's something we all have to learn. We need to know so badly. And as you continue, you can be certain that you will come to a number of places of battle, like Jericho or Carmel. But you very likely may not win all of those battles. In fact, you may win only a few. So does that mean you can't recover? That God's through with you? No, you can always recover. You allow God to retool you, and now we come finally to the place of departure, which starts with death to self, and it ends with a glorious reuniting with our Heavenly Father. Is it not true, though, that if you exclude the rapture, every human being is going to face death? It's only a question of when. Does that mean Believers will face death? Does that mean unbelievers will face death? Well, everybody faces death. And what's the difference? How death is faced. Should the believer be scared of death? In fact, shouldn't the believer embrace it? All it is is a portal into the arms of their Lord. The one who should be scared of death is the unbeliever. Sometimes death is quick. I'll tell you, let me share with you, Kim, one of my greatest regrets in life. I was at my parents' house. I'm going to try and get through this. I was at my parents' house, and my dad, it was a Sunday afternoon. My dad was laying on the couch dozing, and the phone rang. And I answered the phone. And they said, is this Jack Brady? And I said, no, this is Doug Brady. I'm his son. Well, I'm his doctor, and he called his name. He said, you're not his doctor. Dr. Maidley is his doctor. He said, well, he went to Dr. Maidley on Friday, and he had a blood test, and I'm reading it, the results. Okay. I said, he is very, was it high or low? Very high on sodium. Take him to the hospital immediately. Well, I listened to that, and I said, okay. I called him mainly, Said, "Get me pre-admitted to Baylor," and we took him down. And he went through the worst thirty days of his life following that before he died. Now I am going to go back to that in a second. My regret is I didn't turn to my father and say, "Dad, the doctor says you need to go to sleep," and he had woken up in the arms of Jesus. But I stood by that man during that thirty days. And I saw the courage, and I saw the spiritual perseverance, and I saw a willingness not to lose heart and complete faith that his Savior is going to come take him sooner or later. And I can remember praying, Dad, I mean, Father, give me faith like my father had. That's what we're to be building now, Kim, where we can face that without fear, without panic, and we can show the rest of the world, here's how a Christian dies. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for the time that we could meet. I thank you for the time that we could be here together. Now, Father, we've mentioned the things that Elijah has taught us, and I pray that you'll help me to make application in my life and to be able to share with others what you've done through Elijah and and the lessons that you've taught us. Now, Father, we've also made mention of the fact that the condition of our nation is because of the failure of the believers who lived here which include me father help us to change that help us to become serious about prayer and serious about prayer for our nation help us to be serious about sin and standing up and unequivocally pointing out the sin and saying what you intend to do as a result of it and then father help us to pray for an army of evangelists that will come upon our nation and will share your love and forgiveness and that men's and women's heart, including children, will be turned back to you. I pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus, and the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.